On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the basics of the NHS pension. So we'll be looking at the 95 section and then the 2008 section and the 2015 section, thinking about things as such as the retirement age, the recruitment rates, the lump sum entitlements and the death benefits that go with all those different sections and thinking about some of the issues. This is a two-part episode. So the first part is this, which is just looking at the basic nuts and bolts of the pension scheme. And a bit like the anatomy and physiology that you did at medical school, if you don't understand the basics, you won't be able to understand the more complex things, which is coming next week. So this is a really good introduction to the different features of the different sections of the pension scheme and hopefully you find it useful. As ever, leave us feedback in the comments below. Uh, thanks for listening and spreading the word amongst your colleagues. One thing that I do need to say before we get into today's episode is that this episode is for information purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice or guidance. And if you do need advice or guidance on your pension scheme, well, that's exactly why we started Medics Money, because we have 38 of the best advisors in the country. But just to stress, this is for information purposes only and is not advice or guidance. So hopefully that will keep the compliance teams happy. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So I'm delighted to be joined on this morning's episode by Rachel Hall, who is a specialist medical independent financial advisor. Do you want to give yourself the intro, Rachel? Yes. So just to introduce myself, I am an independent financial advisor. I have been working in the healthcare sector now and advising doctors and NHS staff for about maybe the last 10, 12 years. I have quite a sort of deeper understanding of the complexities of pension taxation and the NHS pension scheme. And that is what my business more or less focuses on and trying to take very complex information and translate it into layman's terms. Awesome. I think you've been very modest there (laughs) saying that you've got a reasonable understanding of the NHS pension scheme. We're going to find out just how reasonable that is uh, on today's (laughs) episode. Now, a few things that we need to talk about, because the other day you told me that you could have been married to an international superstar DJ who toured with Moby (laughs) on his world tour. But instead, due to questionable life decisions by your chosen life partner, he's actually went to medical school instead. Do you want to talk about that? I know. It's quite sad, really, isn't it? Well, he he would say so. Uh, (laughs) So when he was at med school, he used to do the lighting for the gigs at the uni. You know, he's seen the stones and Oasis and he was invited to go on Moby's world tour, which he turned down because for some reason he wanted to be a doctor. So, you know, but then I suppose we would never have met. Yeah, I mean, that's a questionable life decision right there. <laughs> um, but you, li- you live and learn. So, yeah, great that he's a doctor. Now, when uh, Rachel joined Medics Money, we were super happy to have her on board. But I think you were in the middle of moving house and it was hectic at the time. Mm-hmm. So. I- you phoned me up on a Saturday to say that you were setting up your Medics Money profile whilst at a soft play area. Now that, <laughs> that is epic level multitasking. Yeah. So, uh, I'm yeah, a big I, multitasker. I've got a six and a three-year-old and obviously a woman running a business married to 
a doctor who has a very busy life and a very busy schedule. Yeah. So you wonder how we actually ever achieve anything during the day. But um, yeah, so I'm very used to multitasking and holding a kid in one hand and doing complex actuarial calculations in another. So, you know. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, soft play is probably the one thing that I don't really miss about uh, the pandemic. (laughs) You know, it's just such a noisy environment, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure they'll be open again soon. Okay. So in the first part of this, uh, we're going to go through the real basics about the NHS pension because it's complicated and a bit like your anatomy and physiology lecturers at med school. If you don't understand the basics, you're not going to get the more complex things that we're going to talk about later on. So Rachel, do you want to just give us your sort of guide to the three sections of the pension and the differences between them and and why that's all relevant? Mm -hmm. Okay. So to just put it very, very simply, we have three different pension schemes. One, which is the original scheme, which is known as the 1995 section. And the 1995 section is split into two parts. One, which is a final salary scheme for officers. So that's your hospital doctors. And then you have the GP practitioners. So that is a very, very complex scheme, which people refer to as being dynamized. So for every year that a GP is in that scheme and after they become a principal practitioner, they bank a pension and then that pension is revalued with dynamizing factors. These days, the dynamizing factors are CPI plus 1.5%. Many, many years ago, there used to be some kind of figure plucked from some ivory tower down in the Department of Work and Pensions. But yes, so that's the 1995 section. So the the scheme retirement age is aged 60. However, the normal minimum pension age, you can retire anytime from 50 through to 60. Now, to make matters even more complex, because this scheme is extremely nuanced, there are some people who have what's called special class status or mental health officer status, and they can sometimes retire at 55, or they can retire at 55, without any actuarial reduction to their pension. Okay, so it's a very, very attractive scheme for mental health officers. Instead of accruing 180th, they would actually accrue 280ths after they served a period of time within that scheme. So, for example, the scheme accrual rate on the final salary part, the officer's section, would be at 180th normally, and it would accrue three times lump sum. On a pensionable pay, let's just say of 100,000, you might be looking at building a, t- a pension of £1,250 a year and 3750 tax-free cash. The 2008 section came along. That was another completely nuanced scheme, contrary to popular belief. The 2008 section, what that would do was it would provide a pension, which was the best average of three years in the last 10. But for earlier years, you would have pension increase applied to that. And that pay would be known as what is called as reckonable pay. The scheme retirement age at that point was pushed back to the age of 65, but they introduced some features which are pretty good about that scheme, such as drawdown, where you can draw from your pot without officially retiring, which is good for some pensioners if they're they're kind of looking at winding down before retirement. But for those that are the workaholics, 
the scheme had late retirement factors. So they would actually boost pensions if people worked beyond the age of 65. Okay, so then uh, came along the 2015 scheme following what was known as the Hutton Review, which was kind of focused on the fact that people were living longer and they wanted to make sure that they kept the costs of the scheme down so that was more affordable in the future. So, but what the 2015 scheme actually does is it, once again, it pushes back retirement age. So it's aligned with the state pension age, but there's a higher accrual rate on that. So it's 154th. And with the, both the 2008 and the 2015 scheme, there is no automatic accrual for lump sum. So what you're actually starting with is a higher pension. So for 2008, you'd have, you'd be building, let's just say, £1,600 a month on a 100k. And on the 2015 scheme, that would be £1,800 a month. So you can see, actually, in terms of scheme design, some people might prefer different features. There might be different features that appeal, appeal to different people. Because some people might not care about tax-free cash, they might just want a higher pension, for example. Yeah, I guess a lot of it depends on your life life plans and and also things like that. Um, just a few questions that you mentioned, which some terms which some people may not be familiar with. So uh, you mentioned the um, actuarial reduction if you take your pension early, mm-hmm. and the normal pension age in the ninety five section is sixty, yeah. although you mentioned it's fifty five for special classes or mental mm-hmm. health officers. Can you just tell us about what the actuarial reduction is and what what it means for people who want to take their pension early? Okay, it's quite a complex subject, but to keep it very, very simple, if you want to retire before the scheme retirement age, your pension is going to go into payment for longer. So what the actuary does is they produce a, a range of tables and they reduce your pension for every year that you are retiring below the scheme retirement age. So there are different minimum pension ages for these schemes. So like I said before, with the 995 section, you can retire between the ages of 50 to 55 and before 60. The issue that you've got, which is not really common knowledge, is that if you plan to retire between the ages of 50 to 55, you don't just suffer an actuarial reduction. Your lifetime allowance is also reduced by 5% a year. Okay. Now for the 2008 section, people can go from you know, 55 onwards. And for state pension age, it depends how many years before state pension age, but it's between 12 at a minimum of 50, age 55. So yes, very complex. But I think in terms of financial planning, you have to make sure that you can afford to retire on those dates and you have factored in those those issues. Yeah. To sort of make sure I've understood it correctly, the actuarial reduction, basically, if you choose to take your pension before your retirement, normal pension age, retirement age, then you get a reduction per extra year that you take it early. Is that right? Correct. Okay, cool. But then, adversely... There's always a but with the pension. If you want to retire later than the scheme retirement age in both the 2008 and the 2015 scheme, there are late retirement factors which do actually enhance your pension. Okay. So that's good Good to explain that. And then you mentioned the um, accrual rate. So in really simple terms, can you just explain what the accrual rate means? And then you mentioned there was a difference between the 95 and the other section of how much you get per year. 
Yeah. So if we say very simply, this is not in, including the GP scheme. So the, the dynamized 995 scheme is totally different. So I'm just going to focus on the final salary because it's yep. an easier way to, to demonstrate the pension accrual. So the 1995 scheme is best of the last three years. Okay. So the pension that you build in the 1995 scheme, based upon a final pension prepare for 100,000, that member would receive £1,250. That's what they would be banking every year on that kind of level of income, plus £3,750 tax-free cash. Okay. But obviously, you know, we've not factored in service with that. 2008, there is no tax-free cash, but you can commute pension for tax-free cash. So the 2008 accrual is 160th, okay? That's £1,666 a year. And 2015 scheme would be a higher pension than that because it's a 154th accrual for each 100k. And that would uh, be banking on £1,851. However, the 2015 scheme acts like a piggy bank. So let's just put it into these terms. You've bought yourself £1,800 of pension, yeah? You put that in your savings account and you earn an interest on it. The interest is CPI plus 1.5%. That is the dynamics of the 2015 scheme. So it starts to build and build and revalue over time. So it's actually a really fast accrual rate in that 2015 scheme. The downside of 2015 is having to work to state pension age. Yeah, indeed, um, which is already pushed up to 68 for me. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, that was a really great explanation. And um, we talked a bit about lump sum and we talked a bit about the death benefits. I mean, that, as we discussed uh, before we came mm -hmm. on, is an incredibly complex area. So, you know, there's been a lot of uh, chat about the pension recently, and we're definitely going to get into some of that later. But I thought it would be good to take some questions that Addicts Money listeners have sent us about the pension, if that's all right. Well, the first question uh, that well, I wanted to just quickly touch on is uh, we've been doing a bit about ethical investing at the moment. And some mm -hmm. people ask us, can they invest their NHS pension pot ethically? So that's a good question that you want to invest ethically, but it shows a fundamental misunderstanding about the role of defined benefit versus defined contribution. Yeah. So do you want to just make that clear? Because the NHS pension is, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So if we just back up a little bit here. We've got two different types of pensions. So we've got something which is called a defined contribution scheme and one which is called a defined benefit. Now, your NHS pension is called a defined benefit. And that's because for the reasons I've just explained about being able to work out and calculate pension, we are able to define the benefit. Okay, Final salary schemes, occupational schemes, things like this are covered under a, what we know as a DB scheme. Now, a defined contribution scheme invests your money into things like stocks and shares. And the amount of pension that is payable at the end of the term is dependent upon things like investment performance. So you can, you can win or lose. Now, the other issue with defined benefit pension schemes, if you have some schemes that are funded and those that are unfunded, and your NHS pension is an unfunded scheme. So there's no physical pot of money. 
So what it is, it's more kind of like a cash flow exercise. So all of these contributions that come into the scheme are being used to then pay out pensions into the future. So it, it, it's, a, it's a balance sheet exercise, I guess. So no, there is no pot of money that you can use to then invest in or you can't choose underlying investors. But I would say because it's the NHS, it more or less is ethical anyway. <laughs> Good answer. So that's a pretty key difference uh, that the NHS is a defined benefit. Other pensions, you know, could be defined contribution and they're the ones that you could invest ethically if you choose. So Correct. thank you for yeah. clearing that up for us. It's, uh, it's a, w- a real common question that we get and it's great that people are looking to invest ethically. We got some podcasts about that, which I'm sure you've listened to. Okay. So um, some people have opted in and out of the pension scheme and Mm. that can be done for lots of different reasons, which we're not going to get into today. But Mm. one thing I thought it would be really um, important to stress is what is the significance if you opt out, so you leave the pension scheme for more than five years, because that Mm. has ramifications. Okay. So what we're looking at here is we're looking at three different schemes with totally different designs and different retirement ages. If somebody leaves the scheme within five years, so let's just say they come out for a couple of years and they go back in, they can pick up their final salary linking. GPs, for example, can pick up and have all of their dynamizing factors out. So the only thing that you've really lost is just the pension that you would have normally banked in those individual years. But for the the best of the last three years, that's still going to operate as, as it stands. Now, the issue that you've got, if you are... If you've had a break in service for more than five years, you can't return to the original or the legacy schemes, which are the 95 or the 2008 section, and then just pick up from kind of where you left off. You don't have that option anymore. Also as well, there might have been people with added years contracts. If you have spent more than 12 months out of the scheme again, you will not be able to reinstate your added years contract And, you know, these contracts are like gold dust. You can't get them anymore. So that is the danger of being out of the scheme for more than five years. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's quite a big thing that some people don't realize. Okay, that was a super helpful summary. And we're going to get into a lot more detail on some topical uh, pensions issues in a minute. I thought maybe it would be good to sort of for you to summarize the biggest pension mistakes that you see doctors make because it's an incredibly complicated scheme we're not taught about this in medical school you you just know that you have this pension um and so if we go through common mistakes that might help medics money listeners to hopefully avoid them i think we've just kind of outlined one common mistake there which is about opting out without understanding what you're losing um Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah one of the um the one of the issues that i'm finding right now which is making a huge difference to pension values i.e. creating losses for doctors, is that they are opting out of the scheme without being informed. So they worry that they've got an annual allowance charge and they they just come out immediately. That's because, generally speaking, I mean, a case I've just worked on recently, the pension record itself was a, a real mess. and. One of the other issues that we've got with, um, unfortunately, with pension records is that some members have received incorrect information from the scheme. So what I would say is never knee-jerk react and just come out of something because 
in terms of annual allowance charges, if you ever have an annual allowance charge, you can still drop that annual allowance charge onto a scheme payers form. It doesn't have to involve in cash and life, you know, your life savings or selling your home to pay tax charges. But what I would say is always seek advice from an NHS pension specialist, whether that's in the form of an accountant or an independent financial advisor, and just ask for a second opinion first. If you're going to come out of the scheme, come out in an informed and in a controlled way, because those pension benefits that you are buying, you might never get them back. So that's one of the issues. What I would say is maybe not common mistakes, but good practice. Nice. Yeah. So good practice would be request a membership statement from the scheme. Now, this is not a total reward statement. So we have the total reward system, which is a place where you can find your pension benefits. If you do not know how to access that, if you email Tommy at the end of the podcast and we'll provide you with some guidance. Yeah. Have a look at your total reward statement. You do a due diligence check. Do you think that looks correct? If you don't, you can call the scheme and you can ask them to talk talk you through your pension record because sometimes mistakes are made when payroll report information to the scheme. They're not always correct, okay? There's a lot of common mistakes happen internally. I know GPs can never get hold of total reward statements. Work with the scheme, call the scheme, find out the pensionable pay, does that look correct? Your membership statement is a history of all of your pensionable employments. Look for job gaps. Are those job gaps correct? Or is the missing service? Go and get the evidence, take the evidence, provide it to the scheme, they'll recredit that back to you. Okay. So just good record keeping, you know, set up a lever arched file and put all your forms into that and get yourself a good an account, a good accountant. Um, because they will they will be a really worthwhile investment for you, especially when you go through your career and you might have uh, forthcoming annual allowance issues. Yeah. And it's probably worth stressing that uh, what you're saying there in terms of good practice, that applies to all doctors, really, from yeah. F- F1 to consultant, yeah. GP and beyond. So every year, a minimum, would you say, get a TR, a total award statement every yeah, year minimum? Bec- absolutely. Because sometimes as well, as, uh, well, especially for those who are on uh, multiple income streams, portfolio GPs are the worst case <laughs> with the worst pension records. Sometimes you will spot something that the NHS pension scheme may not. So something might look entirely reasonable on the record, but actually it could be a misreporting error from your payroll team. Keep your end of year pay slips because that is what you've been receipted for earning and pensioned on during that period. So you can use that as as an evidence for a case if, if there's missing pay or incorrect reporting. So yes, yeah, so so keep all of those March or your month twelve pay slips. You sound like Ed. His basic top tip is just keep all documentation of pay slips, <laughs> pensions, everything, because one day you might need it. And um, absolutely, yeah. I mean, mistakes in the data are really, really, really common, unfortunately. And the sooner you find it the sooner you can correct it. And um, correcting at the end of your career from a payslip based in 1972, not ideal, right? Yeah, and I think that's sometimes why the scheme generally advise on sending in retirement forms three months 
before you're due to retire. And it can be because they have to go through and correct records and unravel everything and then put it back together. And it could cause really serious issues in the future, which I'm sure it has for some people all the time. But nobody can do a better check than yourself, obviously, with the help of Fleetwood NHS Pensions. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that everybody can do. Uh, You don't need an accountant or financial advisor for that. You can do it yourself. And if you do need an accountant or financial advisor who understands the scheme, well, that's why we started Medics Money, because we realized that there was this, you know, such a specialist area as we're about to see that, um, you know, you need a specialist who does this day in, day out. Someone like you, for example, Rachel. Okay, great. So that was a great summary of the the pension scheme. What we're going to get onto now is a very topical issue which you may have heard of, which is the public service pension scheme. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about that. So I look forward to uh, catching up with you on the next episode, Rachel.